Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the trade deadline. It's the trade deadline. It's the biggest thing happening in America today. Except for the election. That's kind of a big deal, I'm told. So the trade deadline, which has become increasingly more relevant in the NFL these last few years as teams take a little bit more of an NBA or baseball style approach and, and, and they're more fluid with their rosters. But it's still it's still a little too early in the season where not enough people are mathematically out of the playoffs that teams are reluctant to just be labeled sellers. The Texans were one of those teams uh, where I think one of the most notable trades that could have occurred is if the Green Bay Packers had successfully traded for wide receiver Will Fuller. The Packers have Devontae Adams and then not a whole lot else. Lazard is hurt, but he's Lazard. And I, I think there's this perception, especially I was learning more and more amongst Packers fans, that Packers fans are kind of sick and tired of always being told to wait for the future. Hey, we'll draft a quarterback this year because it, it worked once before. So this organization that's had awesome quarterbacks for damn near three decades now somehow thinks that it's their birthright to always have awesome quarterbacks. So instead of giving Aaron Rodgers any weaponry, they just go ahead and draft another quarterback this year. And the Packers have not drafted an offensive skill position player in the first round since Aaron Rodgers. They drafted Aaron Rodgers, and then Aaron Rodgers is at the made made the most of a lot of guys who have been at time good surprises as non first round picks, but they just haven't invested in really giving him the kind of weaponry with which he could do something great, and that's exactly what's happening here. And and the thing that I hate the most is the people that are apologists for the Packers way that hey yeah you, you can't be squandering in a second round pick on a receiver who is a free agent at the end of the year when why not you have Aaron Rodgers now you invested in a quarterback in the first round uh your second round pick isn't doing anything why not invest in somebody that can help you right now and by the way you'll have the right to franchise tag with Will Fuller negotiate with him use his injury history against him um but I I'll say I think I empathize with Packers fans because the Packers are constantly, they're so concerned about the long term that they neglect the short term. Like the Packers would starve to death today 
so they could save money to buy a better life insurance insurance policy tomorrow. It, like it doesn't make any sense at times how long term oriented they are. I'm happy for the Texans. Not that I think that they absolutely had to hold out for a second round, but I think this tweet from Aaron Wilson is what made me happy for the Texans. For those of you that don't know, I'm a Texans fan. I played for the Texans. So uh, this is what Aaron Wilson says. The Packers also wanted the Texans to pay a portion of Will Fuller's salary in the proposed trade per league sources that and disconnect on draft compensation plus COVID-19 situation all led to no deal. Look, that is the old B.O.B. discount code that, hey, we're going to take one of your players and also you're going to pay part of his salary. That that deal is no longer available. Bill O'Brien has left the building. This was notoriously what would happen to Bill O'Brien. It always felt like something was getting tacked on at the end of a deal. It felt like it felt like. Bill O'Brien would have had a deal with somebody. Then at the last moment, Pete Carroll and John Schneider with the Seahawks said, oh, by the way, we're going to need you to pay half of Jadeveon Clowney's salary. Okay, no big deal, right? And, and you, it's like when you're buying a car, you think, oh, crap, oh, I don't want to buy the Rust Guard, but I guess I'll buy it because I just want to get the hell out of here. That's what was a hallmark of Bill O'Brien's reign as general manager, his blessedly short reign as general manager, was that it, it felt like at times his impulsivity got the best of him. And that at times he just wanted to get deals done. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, you want us to pay all of David Johnson's contract? Not just not just get a paltry return for DeAndre Hopkins, but also pay all of David Johnson's guaranteed money when pretty much the rest of the league thought that if the Cardinals wanted to get rid of that contract, that the Cardinals were going to have to pay part of the money, the the salary on David Johnson. This is what would happen with Bill O'Brien all the time. So I think it was music to a lot of Texans fans' ears when they said, oh, okay, the Texans didn't go for that. They balked for that. There's also the question of what would it have been worth for the Texans compared to what they can get in a compensatory pick for Will Fuller. I'm not as sold by that. I think a lot of people would say, well, you're going to get a third-round compensatory pick for Will Fuller anyway, so why take less than a third-round pick? The reason would be twofold. One, you could get rid of all of Will Fuller's salary right now, so save that half year, uh, 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 several million dollars on next year's cap when you roll that over. Two, Will Fuller has a pretty extensive injury history. It's not all that clear that Will Fuller would play 16 games next year and that you'd get a third-round pick in return for him. So it might be a lot less than that. And I think ultimately, for Packers fans, if you're trying to make yourself feel better about this, look, Will Fuller's been banged up a lot. This is the healthiest he's ever been. There was one game this year, the Ravens game, where Will Fuller didn't get a single target. And... They never said that he was officially injured after the game, but it was very, very curious that your number one guy uh, at times was wide open and wasn't getting looked at by DeAndre Hopkins. So it's not entirely clear that he was healthy all this season, but for whatever it's worth, he hasn't missed games. This is the healthiest he's been. I don't know what Will Fuller's hamstrings would look like in December and January up in Wisconsin. I, I feel like there's a 50-50 chance that they might have looked and felt the same way as like uh, an old man found dead at his ice fishing camp in January. That's what, that's what I would worry about. So uh, rock yourself to sleep at night, knowing that maybe, maybe you yanked your baby out of the path of a, a speeding locomotive when it comes to Will Fuller's injuries, injury history. Uh, the other, the other move from a Texans perspective and the big name that didn't get moved is JJ Watt. I don't think that's a huge surprise 
Uh, look, I should the Texans have unloaded JJ for just anything to get out from underneath that salary. I, I could see your argument for that. I do think that right now, JJ is really the only viable pass rusher on that roster. Like that, that's an every down player. And I think that that's a decision you wait and allow the next general manager to make right now. The Texans do not have a head coach. They do not have a general manager. The interim general manager, Jack Easterby has no designs on that job. And I don't think Cal McNair thinks that he himself should be a general manager. So when it comes to decisions like this, I think you allow your analytics people that are still in the building tell you what you th they think is a good deal for Will Fuller. And maybe if you get that godfather offer or a great offer for J.J. Watt or Will Fuller, you take it. But otherwise, just let, let a general manager come in here and tinker with those toys because he's going to be more qualified to do it than you as the owner or you as the interim general manager and Jack Easterby. The, so the... The losers in this deal, I still will say the Green Bay Packers, they might just feel like they dodged a bullet after that. They got Lazard coming back, and, and we'll see. But I do think the Packers, the Packers are still constructed like a team that cannot just rely on the pass game alone. I think they need to balance out the run in the pass. And, and we saw this last week when you come up against the wrong matchup, like the Minnesota Vikings, who I don't think are as good an overall team as the Green Bay Packers. But on the right day, when your run defense, the Green Bay Packers run defense is playing as porously as it has played, you don't really have enough answers. You can't just sit there and start picking people off, throwing all over the yard like a way a Tom Brady or somebody could, no matter how good your quarterback is, if you don't have the weaponry to do it. So I would call Green Bay losers there. I would call it a push for the Texans. I don't think they not either won nor lost. The new general manager coming in is going to have one extra toy to play with. The other big winners and losers, I think, if it comes to the inactivity at the trade deadline, I guess Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore, who hasn't had his typically dominant season this year, but was coveted by a lot of teams, they just weren't going to give up a first-round pick for it, for, for him. Um, and I think Stefan Gilmore ultimately ends up getting paid or, or maybe dealt in the offseason. So I wouldn't call him a loser. I would call the Patriots losers just because, you know, not like I'm not calling you a loser. I'm calling them losers at the trade deadline because I I feel like the Patriots are in the middle of a semi-tank, whatever that is. You know, like uh, if, if it hadn't been for Cam Newton, especially, they, they uh, I, I think they were expecting and almost anticipating this to be a reset year, especially after they had their COVID opt-outs. And this is a year where, look, a guy who's 30 years old and Stefan Gilmore probably might not be back around for the, the upswing and hasn't been playing his best right now. That's a classic type of Bill Belichick. Hey, let's get rid of this guy. Well, we've still got a chance to get rid of him. So Patriots losers there, but Patriots are also losers for a whole lot of other reasons. Frankly, I'm not buying this Bill Belichick sob story about how their years of going for it somehow is why they're struggling now. Well, no, you drafted really poorly. They they have not drafted a player who has made a Pro Bowl since Jamie Collins in 2013. 
that's seven years they've gone. Now we'll see. Maybe one somebody from the 2020 draft will. But uh, that's six years of drafts without anybody making a Pro Bowl. And, and mind you, that's on a team that's had a lot of success. Usually the teams that are having a lot of success get Pro Bowl players named to the Pro Bowl who shouldn't even be in the Pro Bowl. But they're on a good team, so they get that shine of success on them. Uh, it, it has not been great. They've had you know, sketchy draft or sketchy trades. Like the Muhammad Sanu pick last year was kind of why the Texans were hoping they could get a second rounder for Will Fuller because Muhammad Sanu got a second rounder by the Patriots. The Patriots gave up a second rounder for Muhammad Sanu and ended up cutting him in training camp this year after not getting a whole lot out of him last year. These are the kinds of moves that the Patriots have made. I, I would give him a partial excuse because guys like John Robinson for the Titans um, and others have left their personnel department. I don't think they're just flat out as smart as they once were in their personnel department. So Patriots losers at the trade deadline. I would actually say that the the Titans too, one of the teams linked to trying to go after Stefan Gilmore, maybe call them losers too. I don't know how close they were to ever landing Stefan Gilmore, but because the Patriots wanted a first round pick and a, a player in return, but the pay, the Titans the Titans defense is just horrendous right now. They're third down defense. They're letting teams convert at a 60% clip. It's one of the worst third down defenses, at least through this point in the season. I mean, if they finish the season this way, it would be an historically bad third down defense, which is also a bad look for Mike Vrabel because Mike Vrabel in his one year that he had as a defensive coordinator in the NFL, had the NFL's worst scoring defense for the Houston Texans. But Vrabel has all these head coach characteristics as Battle Red Blog called him a few years ago, a leader of men, a haver of it. And at the time, it was a big joke. But then here we here in Houston have kind of watched as we see, oh, yeah, Vrabel, uh, he does have uh, that, uh, that it thing going there now, doesn't he? It's really annoying. Uh, but as a defensive coordinator, and he's calling the shots on defense this year, he hasn't availed himself all that well. He has talent deficiencies out there, but uh, and I think Stefan Gilmore would have made a difference. But probably, unless he really amped up his play over what he'd done in the first half of the season, I don't think he would have made a huge difference, but it might have been enough of a difference to keep the Tennessee Titans as a contender. So that's all the trade talk I want to talk about, which... Uh, Ends up being no trade talk at all, actually. I apologize for that. I don't apologize for this. This Javon Wims fight, I guess we'll call it a fight in the Bears-Saints game, where Javon Wims, the first any of us knew of it, we saw Javon Wims, uh, kind of journeyman-type wide receiver for the Bears, take a couple swings at Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the Saints, and... It wasn't clear at first exactly why all this happened. It became clearer when you break down the film, you hear some of the backstory behind it. But this guy, Evan Sachs on Twitter, did a great job. If you haven't seen this video, I highly encourage you to Google this before you listen to me explain it. But for those of you that just saw it and didn't really get the whole breakdown, it all started on the Bears' first possession of the second half. After exchanging some words... CJGG, GJ, that's what they're calling uh, Gardner Johnson here. Uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson rips Wim's mouthpiece off and it falls to the ground. Later, we would find out Javon Wims would claim that Chauncey Gardner Johnson also spit at him before he pulled this mouthpiece off. Now, pulling the mouthpiece off the way you uh, see it in this video, it looks a whole lot like 
snatching somebody's chain, which in certain neighborhoods is a very, very bad thing to do to a person. And uh, it's uh, it's fighting words, so to speak. Anyway, though, uh, Javon Wims has to leave after this. Doesn't really get a chance to retaliate. He has to go to the sideline. Um, so he's sitting on the sideline for basically about 11 minutes because there's a change of possession. Then by the time he actually gets back out there, Javon Wims tries to grab Chauncey Gardner Johnson's uh, tries to tries to get Charney, Char, Chauncey Gardner. It's really hard to say Chauncey Gardner Johnson's mouthpiece doesn't work. So he's got no choice at that point in his mind than to go up, tap him, punch him, step back like he's looking for an old school brawl and then come up and tap him again. And then Chauncey Gardner Johnson, who apparently is a world-class trash talker. He's the guy that actually got Michael Thomas to punch him where Michael Thomas, remember, had that strange suspension by the Saints and whatever the hell else was going on with uh, Michael Thomas. Did I say Michael Johnson? Michael Johnson, the sprinter, uh, not involved in any of this. Michael Thomas, the wide receiver for the Saints, obviously involved in this. I get so excited when I'm talking about these fights. It was really one of the weirdest things I've seen. It makes a little bit more sense after you get the context behind all of it. But Wims, the problem with Wims is that this is exactly what Gardner Johnson wanted. He got baited into this. You've got all kinds of opportunities to settle this on the field at various points during the game. But this is exactly, yeah, you, you just, you got to be an adult at this point. For one, it wasn't your chain. It was a mouthpiece. If you want to handle it the old school way, because the guy just did something that you think is chain snatching, then go ahead and meet him in the tunnel after the game. Figure this out afterwards, because, you know, and, and not that I'm advocating that either. Like, we're all, look, uh, we're all grown men here. You got a lot at stake. Don't be... Don't be acting like you're you're a teenager in the schoolyard. But regardless of all that, probably one of the weirder fights I've ever seen on a football field. The the coolest fight I ever saw on a football field was Zach Wiegert, an offensive lineman, versus Peter Bulware. When Zach Wiegert got upset with Peter Bulware for some reason, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Zach actually like landed like a right left right combo, and on the third punch of the right left right combo, where you're thinking, hey Seth. How come that dumbass Uyghur was punching a guy in the helmet with his bare fist, just like Javon Wims? Ah, I think the first two punches were just kind of tap taps to distract Bulware. And then on the third punch, Uyghur got him with an uppercut, like up in the sweet spot underneath the face mask and lifted Bulware up off the ground. It was really, really cool to watch and see uh, and to be a part of it. It felt magical that evening. And Uyghur got ejected. But Uyghur had a big contract. He was a really good player. He wasn't like Javon Wims, who is now suspended for two years. It's a kinder, gentler NFL these days than it was way back when when Uyghur was making glass joes of people on the football field. Um, but that was uh, that was a pretty impressive one. The... The scariest one that I ever saw wasn't even a fight, but it was when Orlando Brown Sr. was playing for the Browns. I was on the sideline at the time, and it was still kind of scary because Orlando Brown's one of the largest human beings that's ever walked this earth. Not because he's the tallest or the thickest, but just just like a large, intimidating guy. (laughs) He was a really big dude. And this was the notorious game where an official threw a flag and it hit Orlando Brown in the eye and messed him up bad. He ended up having a whole lot of issues, ended up suing the league and getting a pretty nice settlement out of it. Had to spend a couple of years out of football before he came back. But 
uh, Orlando Brown went over to the official, pointed at his eye. I can't remember what he said exactly, but then he just jacked the official and just shoved him. And the official, it was like Orlando Brown might as well have shoved a Cabbage Patch doll. It went flying off through the air the way you probably threw your sister's Cabbage Patch doll back in the day when you were harassing her, you little bastard. So, okay, it was me. Um, but it was it was really scary to see because I, it, at one point I thought, how are they going to restrain this human being who looks like the angriest, largest, scariest being of like either human or otherwise that I've ever seen in my entire life? That was kind of scary. Other than that, I can't. Uh, that that would probably be about the the three extreme extreme instances I've seen. Oh, other than well, Cleveland. It was the the one other weird thing that ever happened to me in Cleveland was when I was playing with Jacksonville. I want to say this was the next season. All this weird stuff all happened in Cleveland, and we um, there was a there was a replay that was either overturned, whatever it was. The crowd wasn't happy with it, and. I was on defense, and after I, I found out that we were going off the field because it was time for our offense to go out and they could just kneel on the ball. That's what had happened. Uh, the, I, I was running to the sideline, and everybody was standing like 10 yards out onto the field. And I said, hey, fellas, what, what's going on? And just as I said that, uh, a couple of Bud Light bottles came skidding past me. The crowd went crazy. The crowd was just freaking out. They were so pissed off. They were throwing bottles at us, throwing bottles onto the field. The officials called the game, just said, that, that's it. Game's over. And we all ran into the tunnel. We all had to, like, cover our heads because the, the angry Browns fans were throwing bottles and trash at us. And some of those bottles were full, by the way. They were plastic bottles, but they were full. Uh, we were wearing helmets, except I remember there was one kid who was like a, a bubble roster type of guy. He was a tight end. God, I wish I could remember this guy's name. But if you watch some of the videos of this, you'll see him running <laughs> running into the tunnel with his helmet off and his 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 fist in the air, just like uh like he was running into battle in World War One or something. Um, and we got into the we got into the locker room and everybody was kind of laughing about how weird it was. And somebody came in and said, guys, you got to go, you got to go kneel on it. The commissioner said that you can't just end the game like that. So you have to go get out there and put an offense on the field. So they basically grabbed 11 random dudes. I think there was an offensive lineman taking the snap at quarterback. I, I'm sure it was all highly illegal by numbers and eligibility and everything, but they got the ball snapped. They kneeled on it and, and away we went. And I remember, I remember talking to, I don't know if it was Gene Frenette or somebody else from the Jacksonville Times Union after that. And I remember saying like, man, they'll be talking about this for decades. And Frenette said, I don't know about that. This is kind of something that you want to just, put under the rug but lo and behold every now and then i see like on a, a 30 for 30 or a football life or something our glorious day back there in 2000 or 2001 when the the cleveland browns fans gave us the ultimate cleveland treatment and it, it i feel kind of honored that i got to live that experience and feel the wrath of the not just the dog pound but the whole damn city of cleveland i feel your pain cleveland i appreciate that uh you're going through what you're still continually going through these days good day Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.